Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 32. <clears throat> Psalm 32, we'll look at just the first two verses today. One of the hymns I grew up on, uh, one which is familiar to many of you, uh, started like this. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. As a child, I remember wondering exactly what words is it talking about. I know it's something in the Bible, but what words exactly? Well, now I know it's the whole Bible. It's all the Word of God, but especially the gospel um, that speaks to us of the grace of God in Jesus. So this morning, I want to return to this passage, one of my favorite passages. You've heard me preach on this psalm before. I've preached on the whole psalm in one sermon. I've preached on the psalm in two sermons, and Today we're just going to take the first two verses, so we get narrowing it down. Maybe we'll get down to a sermon on one word someday, I don't know. Um, but uh, anyway, um, that's what we're going to do. Let me read the first two verses. Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. As I read through the Psalms, I sometimes encounter troubling statements. Uh, For example, there's a line in one of the Psalms that says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. Wow. I can't quite identify with that. My life has not been blameless. I'm constantly troubled by my unworthiness. But when I come to Psalm 32, it's like a spring of fresh water to my soul. For here are words of life. And in these two verses this morning, I want to especially talk about three words of life. So kids, if you're taking notes, I don't have three points this morning or two points or four points. I have three words we're going to talk about. The first word is this. Forgiven. Forgiven. You see it there in verse 1? Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. This is a familiar Christian word. We talk about forgiveness all the time. We don't necessarily practice it, but we know all about it. It rolls easily off our tongue. But this word is not what you might expect. The Hebrew word that's translated forgiven here is a very common word. It's a word, nasa. And it's a very common word. It's used over 600 times in the Old Testament in many, many different settings. The word simply means to lift up or to carry or to take away. And so it's used for things like lifting up a baby in your arms. It's, it's used for things like the wind taking away the leaves when it blows. It's used for uh, loading grain on your donkey so he can carry it down the road. But this word is also used in regard to carrying the weight of sin. So when God punished Cain back in Genesis chapter 1, Cain complains, my punishment is greater than I can bear. There's that word, bear, carry. I can't carry this, Lord. Here, sin is seen as a burden we carry, the weight of which buckles our knees and breaks our back. And we know that to be true, don't we? Down in verse 4 of this psalm, David said God's hand was heavy upon him. That's the weight of guilt. Indeed, this is what Jesus was referring to when he said, Come to me, all you are weary and 
heavy laden bearing that weight of sin. Sin is a burden too heavy to carry. But when this word to lift or to bear or to carry is applied to the weight of sin it sets up this wonderful truth because it then has a meaning of forgiveness. God has provided a substitute to carry our burden which we could never carry. Now this truth is wonderfully pictured every year in the Old Testament in the, in the, in the life of Israel on the Day of Atonement. Uh, on the Day of Atonement, uh, the high priest selected two young goats for the worship that day. And uh, one of the goats that was just chosen by Lot uh, was sacrificed, was slaughtered, and this uh, blood was collected and uh, the priest went into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat there in the Holy, Holies to make, uh, Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sin of the people for that year. Of course, none of the people saw that going on. That all took place inside the most holy place of the temple behind the veil. Only the high priest was there only once a year. But when he came out, there was another act that was very visible to the people. The high priest took that other goat and um, it was presented live to the Lord and then brought out in front of the people. And let me just read from Leviticus 16 what happened to the second goat. The high priest is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall then send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. What's being described here is the concept of the scapegoat. You know that term, right? This is where it came from. The scapegoat. In this concept, we have the sin put on this goat, and the goat carries it away out into the middle of nowhere. See it there? The goat will carry on itself all their sins. Folks, this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus did both of these things symbolized, symbolized in the Day of Atonement. He became the atoning sacrifice who shed his blood to, to atone for sins. And he became the scapegoat who carries our sins away from us. That's what God had foretold in Isaiah 53. He poured out his life unto death. And then in the same verse, he bore carried the sins of many. That's how the New Testament describes Jesus' work. In 1 John 3, Jesus appeared that he might take away our sin. Or John the Baptist says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this common word that means to lift or to bear up or to carry comes to mean forgiveness. For that's what Christ does with our sin. That's what we read in verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, who are lifted up and carried away. Or as we read in Psalm 103:12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed 
our transgressions from us. This morning, if you feel that your knees are buckling under the weight of your failures, your sins, your guilt, I have good news. Jesus came to lift the burden from your soul. He is able to carry your sins away so that you carry them no more. Indeed, that's what he was doing when he came and died on the cross. This morning, he simply calls us to abandon the foolish notion that we can handle it ourselves and to come unconditionally back to him, confessing the magnitude of our guilt, abandoning our love of that sin, and trusting him to take it away. And he does. Isn't that a beautiful word? Forgiven. Taken away. Carried off. Forgiven. That's first word. Second word. Covered. Covered. Right there in verse 1, 2. Blessed is he whose sins are covered. Once again, we have a very common Hebrew word that's being translated here. The word is kasah. It means to cover, to conceal, to hide. The Jews in Genesis, when the floods describe it, covered the hills, mountains. But here the thing needing to be covered and hidden is our sin. You see, here sin is seen not as a burden that we can't carry, but it's seen as an ugly blemish that we can't remove and we can't hide. And the truth is, we're not very good at covering up our sin, are we? We try. That's our first response when we sin, is to cover up. Remember Adam and Eve? They sinned. They realized they were naked and they got fig leaves and so did the other, trying to cover up their nakedness. Remember Cain? He killed his brother Abel and, when, uh, and then claimed ignorance. said, am I my brother's keeper? What do I know? But his brother's blood kept crying out from the ground and he could not cover it up. Sin is just like that. It has a way of coming out. It's like that water stain on the ceiling. You can paint over it, and a few weeks later, there it is again. Even on a human, purely human level, cover-ups are hard. Things tend to come out. Hard to keep secrets. Hard to live as a hypocrite. People find you out. But if that's true on the human level, how much more is it true in regard to God? How could you ever cover up your sin where God wouldn't see it? That's absurd. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden from the Creator. He knows your heart. He knows the motives. He knows what's driving you. He knows what's done in the dark, what's done in secret. You cannot cover up before God. That's why this verse is such good news. God himself covers the blemish of our sin. That was true in in regard to Adam and Eve. Their homemade fig leaf clothes were ineffective covering, but God slaughtered an animal and made them leather clothes that covered their nakedness. That's what God promised throughout the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 85, 2. You forgave the iniquity of your people and you covered all their sins. When Jesus came, this is what he came to do. To remove the filth of our sin, to cover us with his righteousness so that we might stand clean and beautiful 
before the Father. Now, there's an interesting twist here in this, uh, these first verses of Psalm 32 about this matter of covering up. Look at verse 3 and 4. David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Here David is describing what happened to him when he tried to cover up. He tried to keep a secret from God. He tried to act like he didn't really have any sin. And it bore down on him. And it about drove him nuts. It's a hopeless task to try to conceal something from the Lord. Instead, it was only when David abandoned his cover-up and admitted his sin to the Lord that God then covered it himself. We see that in verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God's ways are almost humorous, aren't they? He says, you try to cover up your sin from me, and it will drive you crazy. You will be in the pits of despair. You will take the downward spiral of depression. You may become suicidal. You cannot cover up your sin before me. You cannot hide from me. But if you'll give it up and own up, and confess it and come clean I will cover it not with some cheap whitewash that will bleed through next week but I will cover it with the perfect righteousness of Christ Jesus we sang so eloquently a few moments ago Jesus thy blood and righteousness my beauty are my glorious dress midst flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy I shall lift up my head. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. Covered. This morning I call you to give up the cover-up. Stop trying to hide from God. Call your sin what God calls it. Stop trying to put a spin on it. Make it something beautiful. Cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus whose blood can cover your sin. And rest in God's promise that he will cover. That's the second word. Forgiven first, covered. Finally, there's a third important word here. It's not quite as obvious as the first two, but it's every bit as wonderful. And that's the word impute. And depending on which translation you have, you may not even see it there. In verse 2, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Or as the New International Version has it that I read earlier, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. That's the word impute, count against. That's what impute means. It means to number, to reckon, to count against, to assign to. Here sin is seen, you see, as not a burden, not a, not a blemish. Here sin is seen as a crime. A crime that you've been charged with. You did it, and it's been charged to, counted against you. It's a crime that's been imputed to you. But here in verse 2, David says, blessed is the person who doesn't have sin charged against him. In other words, that God does not count some people's sin against him. In other words, that God sometimes 
drops the charges. Now David could not possibly have understood how a holy God could just drop charges against a sinner, but he understood that's what had happened to him. God had not dealt with him as he deserved. God had not had not punished him for what he knew he was guilty of. He knew he had been blessed beyond belief. Blessed is the man, he writes, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not charge with his sins. I want to tell you what David only saw vaguely. God has now revealed clearly. This is Christ's ultimate solution to our sin. We read about it in 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 19 it says there, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In other words, Jesus came into the world not to condemn people, not to press charges against us. Jesus came into the world not to impute our sin, not to charge us with what we're guilty of. How could that be true? Well, we keep reading 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He explains, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. God charged our crimes to Jesus. That's what happened. God's solution, our guilt, is beyond comprehension. He drops the charges against us because he already charged, convicted, and executed justice against Jesus, his son. Blessed is the man who has the charges dropped because they were put on Jesus, whose sin is not imputed to him but imputed to Jesus. Oh, but this concept of imputation doesn't end there. The New Testament explains that God dropping the charges against us was only the beginning. Now he turns around and he imputes to us, he credits to us the righteousness, the right standing, the status as sons of God, which rightfully belong only to Jesus. So in Corinthians 5, if we keep reading in that little section, we get down to verse 21. It says, God made Jesus, who had no sin to be, sin for us. Then the verse goes on, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the Apostle Paul was explaining in Romans 4, where he quotes from Psalm 32. Let me just read his little discussion there in Romans 4. He says, now when a man works... His wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. David says, right here in Psalm 32, the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. The apostle's point is hard to comprehend, but easy to understand what he's saying. 
The righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us, credited to our account, rather than the sins we deserve. Not because we deserve it, not because we merit it, not because we're good enough, but because of God's grace to us in Jesus. God has done what we could never have dreamed. He dropped the charges against us because they were credited to Jesus who paid for them. And he took the righteousness of Jesus that he deserved and he credited it to us. David knew what he was talking about when he said such a person is blessed. Not just happy, but blessed in the legal sense of having a brand new status before God. You know, we go through our whole life trying to play mind games with ourselves and rationalize our guilt away. But it keeps showing up somewhere else. Some other symptoms. But God's blessedness does not come from trying to kid ourselves and convince ourselves that everything's okay with with God. God's blessedness is real. It's not a figment of our imagination. That's the point of this last phrase in verse 2. In whose spirit is no deceit. In other words, blessed is a person who doesn't have to deceive himself thinking everything's okay with God. Blessed is a person who knows that he is forgiven, his sin is covered, and God has dropped the charges against him and given him righteousness in Christ. Dear people, these are indeed wonderful words of life. People all around us are sinking deeper and deeper into the mire of despair, trying to delude themselves, desperately trying to convince themselves that their guilt feelings are not valid, trying to rid themselves of an oppressive load of guilt, and those who can't talk themselves out of it often try to drown themselves in booze or in excessive work or in some kind of high experience all to no avail. But this morning, here at this table of the Lord, we confess and cling to the gospel that Christ Jesus removed the burden of our sin that we cannot carry. He lifted it up, took it away. We are forgiven. And Christ Jesus covers the shame that we could never remove, that we could never paint over, that we could never successfully hide. He covered it once and for all. And Christ Jesus has not charged us with the things that we're guilty of. He's dropped the charges and instead imputed to us, credited to us, his own righteousness so that we are accepted in Jesus before the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your grace is more than we can comprehend. But I pray that we would keep growing and keep learning how great it is so that we would stop walking in in a way that's trying to somehow coerce you and twist your arm and get you to like us and realize you've loved us beyond anything we could comprehend. And our life is now simply uh, 
about living in gratitude for all that you've done, trust in you and not ourselves. Take the seed of your word, these simple words that are so profound, plant them deep in our heart, cause them to grow and bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.